and it wants me, but I'm not giving in. Still it taunts me, still it haunts me, but it leaves me empty in the end. And the way is clear and true. Church, I trust you're well and staying safe. Last week we started a series called Apologetics, and it's really about trying to explain your faith or give a reason for your faith. It might um, come in form of a, a defense in terms of trying to explain what you believe, why you believe it, and how it makes a difference to your life. So, last week, for example, we looked at the idea of our conscience and what we believe about our conscience is that God spoke our being into being. God spoke us into being. He created us and he created us with a conscience. It didn't just evolve over time. It didn't evolve from nothing, that's for sure. And it's very clear for anyone who looks out into the the night sky that creation had thought behind it. It's, um, it's not a random act. It's, it's, uh, it's too well designed. The sun and the moon and the, the earth all orbiting around one another, the stars, um, the creation itself, the way that it's ordered, even if you look at your own human body, it's too well designed. And as we know, every design has a designer. What all that means is that God has made us and created us for a purpose. And that purpose is that we're made for relationship with God. God loves us, he cherishes us, and he wants relationship with us. So why do I believe that? Why do I believe God made me for a purpose? One of the reasons that I believe in God and that God made me is this conscience that we have. I know right from wrong. And the Bible says that God has written his law on our hearts in order that we might know right from wrong. So how does that make a difference in my life? It reveals that God is good. It reveals that God is just because he wants me to do what is right. He wants me to do what is just. And so that helps me to live my life according to, in a way that develops my relationship with God, because God wants me to reflect his goodness and his justice. Someone might say, well, I don't believe in God. 
how would you respond? You might say, so how do you determine your morals? How do you determine your ethics? By what standard do you live? Do you determine your own standard, which then determines the standard that everybody else should be living? And so if they're not living up to your standard, do you judge them? And what makes your standard right and theirs wrong? Others might justify their actions in the name of God. And people have done incredibly evil things over time, over the years, in the name of God, because they believe that God wills it. And so they justify their actions by their conscience by saying, well, this is what God wants me to do. And so they can clear their conscience. The Crusades are one of those examples where God wills it. And so they went out and they did what they thought in the name of God. But that's just one example. If we were to look in our own backyard in Australia, when the Europeans first stepped foot into Australia, they made no treaties with the Aboriginals. They didn't uh, try to make friends with them. They just started invading the country. They didn't have a, a choice in the matter. And what they believed was that they had a duty to the rest of the civilised world to civilise the uncivilised. They thought that they were doing the world a favour by doing that. And the tool that they used to civilise uncivilised people, the Aboriginal people, was Christianity. They believed that if they taught Christianity to people, it would help them become civilised. And so they forcefully took children and they tried to educate them in these mission stations to Christianise them. They dressed them Western dress, they forced them to go out of school, they forced them to sit at a desk and read and write. Um, and they taught them what they, what the Europeans thought they should learn, what was important. And so they convinced themselves that they were doing what was right. So did Hitler when he started exterminating the Jews. He could justify it. So what makes your version of right, right? What makes your standard of living better than anyone else's? Because we can't compare our versions of right. We can't do it. We'll soon discover that there's too much variance. And so who's right and who's more right? And that's how wars start, isn't it? That's how people say, well, I'm, I'm you know, especially road rage. And God has not only put his law in our hearts to know what's right and what's wrong, he's actually written it down. He's written a standard for us. And when we stand before his law, the standard, that's how we measure our rightness, not by comparing with anyone else. We look at what God says is the standard of living and we compare ourselves with that. That's the yardstick. It's really no different than road rules when you think about it. Imagine the chaos if there were no rules, no line down the middle, no speed directions, no stoplights, none of that. Just everyone did what they thought was right in their own eyes. 
I would expect everyone to drive according to my high standards, which is very high, and not everyone does. So you see there's a problem. Whose standard is right? So along comes Mr. Law, the police, the, the lawmakers, and they say, well, you can only drive this fast on this road, and if you choose to drive faster, Mr. Lawkeeper will come along and say, no, you have to pay a penalty for that. And if I say, well, I didn't see the sign, I didn't know the rule, the lawkeeper will say, well, that's your fault. It's up to you to know the rule, road rules. If you want to be responsible, if you want to drive on the road, that's part of your responsibility to know the speed limit. And so, if we continue to break the law, So let's compare that with God's law. What does God's law say? Well, God has written his law in stone. Basically, it's unchanging. It doesn't change. You can't erase it. You can't press the delete button. And you can't claim that you don't know because God has written his law on your heart. So we all know what's right and what's wrong. And it's also written down for us to read. So there's no excuse. It's your responsibility as a human being living on this planet to abide by God's laws. That's just part of what it means to be human. And there are only ten laws when you think about it. It's not as though there are millions and it's hard to follow. And you can read them and you can refresh your memory if you like in Exodus chapter 20. But I just want to give you a summary. In fact, this is the summary that Jesus comes up with. He says very simply, number one, love the Lord your God. You love your creator with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And that means uh, loving him first, making him your first priority. It means not replacing God with material things, with things like houses or cars or money or holidays or hobbies or your own leisure, really. It means putting God first in all things. Secondly, Jesus says, love your fellow human being as you love yourself, which means don't think that you're better than anybody else. In fact, Jesus says, I want you to love them with a sacrificial love, which means giving up your agenda at times, giving it up and putting others first, serving others. And these are the basic God-given rules for living. And yet, there's only been ever one person born on this planet 
that has kept that rule, kept those rules, which means that everybody else has broken them. So what is the penalty for breaking God's laws? Let me read it to you so you don't think I'm making it up. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. But God showed his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. And they know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything God has made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and his divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or give thanks to him. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. And as a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshipping the glorious ever-living God, they worshipped idols that made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. Verse 24. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things that their hearts desired. And as a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. And so they worshipped and they served the things God created instead of the Creator Himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. Verse 26. That's why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal relationships with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with, with other men. And as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserve. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and he let them do things that should never be done. And their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarrelling, deception, malicious behaviour and gossip. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning and they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand break their promises, they're heartless and they have no mercy. They know that God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, and yet they do them anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. Chapter 2. You may think that you can condemn people, but you are just as bad. You have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you are condemning yourself. For you who judge others do the very same things. Verse 2. And we know that God, in his justice, will punish anyone who does these things. Since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think that you can avoid God's judgment, judgment when you do the same? Same things. Don't you see how wonderfully kind and tolerant and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness... Is intended to turn you from your sin. But because you're stubborn and refuse to turn from your sin, you're storing up terrible punishment for yourself. For a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. 
And he will judge everyone according to what they've done. And he will give eternal life to those who keep on doing good, giving, uh, seeking after the glory and the honour and the immortality that God offers. But he will pour out anger and wrath on those who live for themselves, who refuse to obey the truth and instead live lives of wickedness. There will be trouble and calamity for everyone who keeps on doing what is evil, for first for the Jew and then also for the Gentile. But there will be glory and honour and peace from God for those who do good, for the Jew first and also for the Gentile, for God does not show favouritism. And when the Gentiles sin, they will be destroyed, even though they never had God's written laws. And the Jews who do have God's laws will be judged by that law when they fail to obey it. For merely listening to the law doesn't make us right with God. It's obeying the law that makes us right. And even Gentiles who do not have God's written law show that they know his law when they instinctively obey it. Without ever having heard it, they demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts for their own conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them what they're doing right. And this is the message I proclaim, that the day is coming when God, through Christ Jesus, will judge everyone's secret life. That's heavy stuff, isn't it? Our Creator, though, loves us, and He gave us a standard to live by, and He expects us to live by that. And so there are consequences. There has to be consequences for those people who don't live according to God's laws. We would expect God to be no different. We would expect God to judge those who do the wrong thing. So rather than judge others, our, cha- our task is to look at ourselves, to re- look at ourselves in the mirror and say, how are we going with that? Because change starts with us first, doesn't it? And if you think you can justify your actions and, and read that verse and say, well, I think I'm a pretty good person. I've got a good chance of, of um, God accepting me and putting me into, into heaven. Well, then let me make it crystal clear. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. For all have sinned. We've all fallen short of God's glorious standard. So next week we're going to look at what God has done. His gracious, his merciful act that is offered to us. If you can't wait until next week and you're thinking, well, I need to make myself right with God, I encourage you to continue reading in Romans chapter 3. So let me pray for you today. And next week we're going to talk more about what God has done to take the punishment for our sin. Father, we thank you for your creation. We thank you for the life you've given us. We thank you for your standard, the way to live life. We know that it's for our good, it's for our benefit. And we confess today that we have fallen short. We've fallen a long way short. And as a result, we've ruined a relationship with you. And we've destroyed relationships with one another. And we've even ruined this earth that you've given us to live with greed and selfishness. And so, Father, we confess that before you today. And we thank you that you have made it right that you can uh, we can call you our father and our god and that you've sent your son to die in our place and so we thank you for this hope that you've given to us and you offer to everyone and father i just pray that your spirit will work in our lives this week and convict us 
of the things that you're speaking to us about in order that we might live lives that give glory and honour to you and reflect your character and who you are. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a good week, church. Stay safe. See you next time. Giving in